0: reading this morning, we turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke 11, we read together the first 13 verses.
1: And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, I cannot arise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him?
0: Returning to our instruction
1: concerning the Lord's Prayer, we turn to Lord's Day 46 this morning, and it's two questions and answers, 120 and 121. Why hath Christ commanded us to address God thus? our Father, that immediately in the very beginning of our prayer he might excite in us a childlike reverence for and confidence in God which are the foundation of our prayer. Namely, that God is become our Father in Christ and will much less deny us what we ask of him in true faith then our parents will refuse us earthly things. Why is it here added, which art in heaven? Lest we should form any earthly conceptions of God's heavenly majesty, and that we may expect from his almighty power all things necessary for soul
0: and body.
1: Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we read in Luke 11, one of Jesus' disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciple. And in response, Jesus taught his disciples what is known to us as the Lord's Prayer. The prayer was not given that we might merely repeat the word. It teaches us not merely what we shall say, but how we shall pray. All the principles of prayer are set before us, illustrated in this model prayer. This prayer takes about 20 seconds to recite, but a lifetime truly
0: to learn. And we have much to learn about
1: prayer. The account of Luke 11 is apparently the second occasion that Jesus taught them this prayer. When we consider the occasion of Jesus' earlier instruction at the Sermon on the Mount, he taught this prayer over against what prayer must not be. There he confronted some of the common practices of prayer that he had observed and by which prayer was corrupted. And he mentioned several things not unfamiliar to us, and against which we ourselves have to fight.
0: Vain repetition, much speaking, praying to be heard of others,
1: and calling attention to those common practices He concluded in Matthew 6, verse 8, Be not ye therefore like unto them? For your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. And then he said, After this manner therefore pray ye, giving them the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus made that comparison, He was setting forth a truth that we ought not overlook. Prayer is the unfolding of our theology. Prayer is not just the expression of words isolated from what we believe. In prayer, we articulate our doctrine, what we believe. That begins already in the address. prayer in our approach to God in
0: prayer. Prayer also brings to
1: expression what we believe about ourselves. Our prayers give expression to what we believe concerning God's attitude toward us, why he looks at us the way he does. So true is it that prayer is the unfolding of our theology that our approach to God in prayer says more about what we believe than spending months or years writing our theological convictions in a book. Our prayers reveal our doctrine of God, of man, of sin, of redemption, of our hope, and more. And all begins in prayer's address. So this morning we consider Jesus' command that we address God as our Father, which art in heaven. And we do so under the theme approaching God as our Father. We consider together, first of all, the blessed privilege. Secondly, the attitude it excites. And finally, the wonderful care he provides. To approach the living God as our Father is a tremendous privilege. To be told that we are to approach God in prayer and to say, our Father which art in heaven is an amazing blessing. We come to him Who is the living God, the one true God, who said in Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. We come to him who is transcendent, the infinitely holy and righteous God. In prayer, we converse with the triune God, the creator of the universe. We come to him who has established with us a special relationship, his covenant of grace in Christ Jesus. The God of our salvation is the one we approach in prayer. We come to him as our Father for Jesus' sake. I'll say more about that presently, but... Jesus taught us explicitly to refer to him as our Father which art in heaven. That indicates first, as question and answer 121 explains, that we are not to form any earthly conceptions of God's heavenly majesty. That's important for us to remember. We are earthly creatures and therefore very earthly-minded. So true is it that God reveals himself to us using human language, speaking about himself in human terms, what we refer to as anthropomorphism. He speaks, for example, of holding us in his arms. He speaks of seeing us with his eyes of walking among us, and so on. It's it's easy for us to look upon God and his attributes in human terms and think about him as if he rules an earthly kingdom. And when we do that, we might even find in our estimation that he isn't leading us the way we think he should lead us. Let's remember, he's not an earthly father.
0: He doesn't make mistakes. His
1: glory is not earthly or perishable. His power and majesty incomparably surpass any earthly majesty. His purposes are not bound by time. They're eternal in the heavens as we heard just a couple minutes ago from Isaiah 46. That means, in addition, that in our prayers, we address the God of infinite perfection.
0: Heaven is indeed a place.
1: The Bible speaks of it as God's dwelling place, the place of glorious and infinite perfection. Heaven is God's throne. The earth is his footstool. There, the exalted Lord Jesus Christ, our perfect intercessor and mediator,
0: rules over all,
1: there are God's angels gathered about his throne, waiting upon his word as they carry out his will for them. There's no sin there. Because our God is light in whom is no darkness at all. But let's also remember while heaven is God's dwelling place, our God is not bound by time and place. As Solomon prayed at the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings 8 verse 27, Behold the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. God is infinitely exalted. Time and space are merely his servants. So that the expression, which art in heaven, doesn't mean that God is far from us. We may know that when we kneel by our bedside, or pray in the closet, or pray silently in the back country or along the river, Be it, we may be assured God is there to hear us. Still more, that Father in heaven, that he is our Father in heaven, speaks of his infinite exaltation above all things. He sovereignly rules over all. That heaven is his throne indicates that his majesty and power extends over all the earth and all creatures. Everything is in his hand, upheld and governed by him with perfect wisdom, That's true even of all the powers of sin and death. All things serve him, serve his divine purpose, even when that purpose is not understood by us in the moment. But as our Heavenly Father, we address him who watches over and cares for his own.
0: What an astounding address this is. The
1: creature is given the privilege of calling upon the Creator. We who are of the earth earthy are blessed to be able to call upon the living God as our Father. Indeed, he who suffered the contradiction of sinners against himself receives them in Christ and draws them to himself in prayer. After this manner, therefore, pray ye,
0: our Father, which art in heaven.
1: So Jesus teaches us in prayer to address him in such a way that we come to him as children to our Heavenly Father. Now, we ought to consider in this connection the tremendous privilege that he has given us that we might be called the children of God. Concerning that wonder of being called the children of God, it's it's important to understand a few things about the relationship that God has given us. Concerning that, that wonder, Scripture speaks of that relationship in a twofold sense. In the legal sense of the word, that's the first way Scripture speaks of that relationship. We are children of God by adoption. To be sure, the foundation was ordained by God that adoption was ordained by God before the foundation of the world in his sovereign decree of election in Christ. He predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, unto himself. But we speak now about God establishing that relationship in time, putting us in this position of being able to address Him as our Father. And then we must understand that by the fall into sin, we alienated ourselves from God. The unbroken communion that Adam and Eve had enjoyed with God before the fall ended with their sin and expulsion from the garden. We have no right by nature to approach God, let alone be called the children of God. By nature we are strangers to God and children of wrath. But God has given us the right to be called his children. He bestowed uh, upon us that right freely, sovereignly, not for anything in ourselves, He adopted us, the most unlovely and rebellious children. That adoption was realized by the death of his own dear son, his only begotten. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, To redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. In the death of Jesus Christ, our Lord, he paid the price of our redemption as the children of God. In his death, he merited the legal right to be called the children of God. He did so by taking all our ugliness upon himself and imputing to us his righteousness. And at the resurrection, God revealed that our adoption was sealed, legally accomplished, so that when we now pray, addressing God as our Father, we are approaching him in the confidence that God has loved us from eternity, that He has given, embraced us as His children, and given us the right to call Him our Father, even our Father who is in heaven. But there's yet another aspect to this wonder, and one which has the emphasis in John's first epistle. As we've been considering that inspired letter, I refer now to the living relationship that God has established in that adoption, the spiritual or organic side of that sonship. In this magnificent adoption by God our Father, he has done what man can never do. Human adoption is a beautiful thing. A picture of what God has done with us. When a husband and wife adopt a child, that child becomes legally theirs. They recognize that child as their own. That child in in a Christian home enjoys all the blessedness of family life But what human parents cannot do in adoption is to give that child their own life, their own genetics. That's why human adoption can only be a faint picture of what God does in our adoption. Because when we talk about this sense of our adoption, which establishes an organic relationship, we're speaking about God making us his own, giving us his own life. He does that by regeneration, by giving us his spirit, the spirit of the exalted Christ, recreating us after his own image. So that when we pray, our Father, which art in heaven, we are saying not only we believe that thou hast loved us and redeemed us, but we are also saying, Father, we love thee. And we know that thou hast shed abroad in our hearts thy love. And it's only by that approach that we can pray from the heart, Father, we long that thy name be hallowed, that thy kingdom come, that thy will be done. It's only by that living, organic relationship with our Father that we can truly pray those things, that thy will be done because then we know that His will is only good for us. It's out of that living relationship with Him, in love, that we cast ourselves upon Him in humble dependence. It's living out of that spiritual sonship that we come to Him with sorrow for our sins and plead for forgiveness. We long to be made perfect, to be kept from offending him. And so we pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we acknowledge the greatness of his glory, standing in awe before him as our Father, to whom belongs the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Then we ought also to notice that in our relationship to our Heavenly Father as His children and heirs by adoption, we're taken into His own covenant life, His own family life. But we're taken there not as individuals, but as members of a large family, the family of God gathered from the beginning to the end of the world and throughout history, even from the various tribes and nations of the earth. So Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven. We mustn't forget that our relationship to him is not just an individual, personal relationship. Indeed, it must be that.
0: But it must be more than that.
1: I noticed several years ago when our children were in a school that was not our own, it was common to hear prayers in that setting that began something like this. God, I just want to thank you. I just I just want to
0: tell you well it might seem that this plural personal pronoun isn't that significant
1: but God Jesus made a powerful point by teaching us to bring our prayers with this plural pronoun We live in an age of individualism. Almost everything is thought about in terms of me. But Jesus reminds us that God doesn't save individuals except to make them members of his family. We must remember when it comes to marriage, And family life, life is never
0: about me. It's about us. So it is with God's family.
1: When you look at the Lord's Prayer, you find that there's not a single first personal pronoun. First person singular pronoun. It's not there in the entire prayer. Yes, in our prayers, we may bring to God our personal needs and must confess our personal sins and sinfulness. But the point is, we may never focus merely upon ourselves. We're members of a multitude.
0: We have to remember that in our prayers. We have many brothers and sisters in Christ.
1: We're in this battle of faith together. We are to take them with us in our prayers.
0: We are to pray for our wives or you married women for your husbands. We are to take our children with us in prayer. We are to remember our church family here.
1: The many members of this congregation. You know some of the trials and burdens that belong to your fellow church members. Take them with you to the throne of grace.
0: But then let's not forget those family members that we've never met. Even those from other nations some of whom bear
1: persecution and heavy trial. Remember the magnitude of God's work in establishing His family. So He teaches us to pray, Our Father. This address the privilege of which is given us by God himself, excites in us a particular attitude too. The Catechism says that by this address, our Lord excites in us a childlike reverence for God. The expression, our Father, particularly with the qualification which art in heaven, reminds us, We don't come before God in prayer like we would approach a fellow human being. Even though we have this amazing relationship with Him, by the wonder of His grace in Christ Jesus, we may never forget who He is. Our Father is not looking for impressive words from us. He's looking for humble hearts for those who approach Him knowing that He alone is God. There's a sense of familiarity with which we may approach Him. After all, He is our Father for Jesus' sake. But familiarity does not give us the right to bring him down to our level. So when when by faith we approach him, we see him as the sovereign of the universe. And when we remember that prayer is an act of worship, we ought also to remember that God doesn't take worship lightly. The opening verses of Ecclesiastes 5, in speaking of the carefulness with which we must approach God in worship, says, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven, and thou upon earth, Therefore, let thy words be few. Let our knowledge of God's transcendence shape our prayers. But when we know that this great God would have us address him as our Father, which art in heaven, we also have to be excited to a a childlike reverence before him let us come before him on our knees, if not physically, then as such in our hearts. How blessed we are that such a God should receive us unto himself. But in addition, and connected to that childlike reverence for God is a confidence that God has become our Father in Christ. By giving us this address, Jesus teaches us that God loves us no less than he loves his only begotten Son. That Son, after all, is our head. He's the only one in whom we may approach God as our Father. He's the one in whom we do approach God as our Heavenly Father. We come to God in the confidence, therefore, that He hears us as the one who gives careful attention to His children. We come in the confidence that He has so loved us and He who is our Heavenly Father will much less deny us what we ask of him in true faith, than our parents will refuse us earthly things. Unlike our earthly dads, our Heavenly Father has marked out every step of our earthly sojourn and knows the way that we shall take. He knows
0: our every need. But he also cares for us according to our needs.
1: And so Jesus told his disciples again in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verses 9 through 11, a passage footnoted here in our Heidelberg Catechism. Or, what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread will he give him a stone or if he ask a fish will he give him a serpent if ye then being evil know how to give good things good gifts unto your children how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him that's the confidence with which we may approach him and the confidence which we express when we begin our prayers saying, Our Father, which art in heaven. Once again, let's not overlook the fact that the Catechism reminds us that this confidence stands upon a firm foundation. Its basis is that God has become our Father in Christ. You might have noticed before that What has become a common conclusion to our prayers for Jesus' sake doesn't appear in the Lord's Prayer. But even though those words are not included in the model prayer given us by Jesus, the fact is that. Christ's work is the foundation for our prayer and is certainly implied, as I pointed out earlier, in prayer's address. The fact that God is our Father is only for Jesus' sake. That God is our Father is only by the adoption secured by Jesus' precious blood and his sacrifice on the cross. That's the basis upon which we may approach God in confidence, knowing that he will hear and answer us according to his perfect will. Prayer, therefore, is an act of faith. Faith which lays hold of Christ and all his benefits. That's why, as the Catechism puts it, we may expect from his almighty power all things necessary for soul and body. Our Heavenly Father faithfully and wonderfully provides for our care. We pray to him knowing that all things are in his hands. His is the richest storehouse, as it were, of all spiritual and physical blessings. All things necessary, he provides. When the Catechism reminds us that our Heavenly Father will provide us with all things necessary for soul and body, it is reminding us that the Lord's answer to our prayer is not always as my flesh desire.
0: We have a hard time distinguishing
1: our true needs from our desires. And that's why sometimes God's answer to our prayers is no. A no that is impressed upon us by silence. Prayer is about God's
0: will being done, not ours. And that's the blessedness too of our prayer to our Heavenly
1: Father. We may know that He will not give us what would harm us spiritually. Oh, sometimes what He gives us hurts. It hurts because it leads us in a way that we would never choose. There are times when His answer to our prayers is one of chastening. Chastening which, let us not forget, is for our profit. Our spiritual welfare. Sometimes he has to remind us, knowing that we are flesh, that what we desire or ask of him is not what we need. But our Heavenly Father is perfect in his wisdom and in the way that he leads us, perfect also in how he provides for our needs. In confidence, therefore, we may ask of him all things necessary for soul and body. We may pray, Father, we love thee. Knowing thy great love for us in Christ Jesus, we seek the glory of thy name. Surely thou wilt give us whatsoever we ask of thee according to thy will. And because thou art holy and dost perfectly uphold the glory of thine infinitely perfect name and the revelation of thine infinite grace and tender mercies to undeserving sinners, we trust that thou wilt show thy faithfulness
0: to us. All things
1: we need are in thy hand. And thou who hast revealed thyself, our loving Father for Jesus' sake, will give us all that we need as thou dost lead us on to heavenly glory. Lord, teach us to pray that we might cast ourselves upon
0: thee in humble confidence. Amen.
1: Heavenly Father, in Thy dear Son, we come to Thee. We come to Thee as Thy children, loved by Thee, adopted by Thee for Jesus' sake, led by Thee on this journey to our eternal
0: home. We thank Thee for the privilege
1: Thou hast given us to call upon Thee in prayer, knowing thy faithfulness.
0: Continue to teach us to pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.